Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy Greg Wachinski. Greg, what's going on, man? Oh, nothing much. Thanks for having me back, and uh, thank you for doing uh, ESPN and Ice. Uh, this is a little like podcast exchange that we have going on, which is pretty fun. Yeah, we're getting some brand synergy going. Um, yeah, I was on with you and Emily last <laughs> week. It was uh, it was a blast, and we're going to kind of rehash some of these topics because while I was on with you guys, we talked about some of these playoff races and fringe playoff teams, and we're going to get into that on this show as well. But man, you're a uh, one thing I admire about you is, is your motor. Like I, you, you have so, so many of your own podcasts already, and you're still making time to come on a show like this. I, I really appreciate it. Well, no, it's my pleasure. It's a, it's a chance to talk hockey. Uh, you're also real smart, uh, so you're an improvement over my puck soup co-host, uh, which is <laughs> which is good. Um, I mean, down goes Brown pretends that he's smart, but he, he's only smart up until about 1998, and then after that, he's not smart anymore. Um, so talking to you and getting a chance to opine on smart things happening today versus during the Wendell Clark era is really a, a, a huge <laughs> bonus for me as, a, as a, you know, as, as far as, you know, in my personal life. Well, we'll see how much, uh, we'll see how much pop culture we can squeeze into this. I was actually listening. I'm a, I'm a bit of a wrestling buff myself. Like I don't, I don't really watch too much of the uh, current product, but I listen to some podcasts on it just to, uh, get through the days. And I, I listened to a mass man show and you were on with shoemaker recently. So it was, uh, that was kind of like a weird little crossover bread blending the, uh, my two worlds. <laughs> yeah, I know it was cool. Cause it, I mean, it wasn't cool that King Kong Bundy died. Let me just rephrase that, but it was cool that we had a chance to talk about him because you know, that was during my formative years as a wrestling fan, WrestleMania two with the big blue steel cage, him and Hulk Hogan. And so, you know, Shoemaker and I are around the same age and we were able to talk about that and King Kong Bundy's acting career on Married with Children and things like that. But, uh, you know, that's fine. At all. I don't, I'm still trying to get on Shoemaker's media podcast. Uh, with Brian in the same breath as, Oh yeah, I know. It's, it's my, it's one of my favorite uh, pieces. There's three media podcasts that I consume every week. Cause I very much enjoy gazing at my own navel. It's that one, the Deitch one that me and Emily just did. And then uh, Jimmy Trainer's podcast on SI that he took over for Deitch. Um, it's pretty good too. I'm you talk about podcasts and stuff like wrestling podcasts are, are a big uh, point of consumption for me. The, the Conrad Thompson history podcast, um, you know, Doug loves movies. I, I, I listen to kind of on it. Um, and then, you know, the newsy stuff, uh, the daily and stuff like that. And then there's the media newsy stuff. And, uh, uh, then, uh, like movie podcasts and stuff like film spotting, um, and a few like long form things too. The best podcast I listened to recently, I, I put it on Twitter. Um, and I hope that people do check it out if they like sort of really quirky, weird, funny, bizarre podcasts is one called finding Drago. Did you hear about this one? No, I haven't. What's it about? Okay, so Finding Drago is about, I, well, I should say Drago. Finding Drago is about uh, uh, Ivan Drago, the mm-hmm. Russian, right. you know, pugilist from Rocky Four. Yep. And Creed Two, I guess. 
Um, and so it's, a, it's these two guys from uh, Australia, and one of them finds a book that was written by someone as a sequel to Rocky IV. So it's a book from like the 1980s, and it's called uh, Drago on Mountains We Stand. And it ends up being this book that he just becomes obsessed with because, A, who would write a sequel book about Ivan Drago in the 1980s? And, B, the book turns out to be actually not completely horrible. And so this, like, six or seven-episode podcast is about their search for the mysterious author of this Ivan Drago fan fiction. And the directions it goes can't be spoiled, but it was one of the most entertaining. Like, it's like serial but for idiots. Mm. And, uh, and so it was very much in my wheelhouse. I'll check it out. How do you how do you manage to brainwash me into doing like four minutes of uh, of random non hockey pop culture stuff off the top? This is like one thing we do in the PDO cast is we get straight to hockey, and somehow I have you on, and all of a sudden we just go completely off the rails. Oh, Dimitri, it's a, it's a skill I like to call procrastination, and <laughs> I am uh, as, as much work as I do, I probably balance it out with a good balance of procrastination as well. So that's that's what we're doing right now. Now we'll get to the meat and potatoes of the conversation, though. Yeah, let's get into it. Well, okay, let's start with the Dallas Stars. And I wanted to talk about them a bit with you because I know you've been, I don't necessarily I'd say you were on the bandwagon, but I remember like we did a little uh, roundtable thing on ESPN a couple weeks ago where we were talking about uh, potential first-round upsets, and you highlighted uh, the Stars taking down the Nashville Predators at the time. And so that kind of caught my eye, and I started like watching them more closely and digging into some of the numbers, and I really don't know what to make of this team just because it is such a far <laughs> stylistic departure from the last time they were successful under Lindy Ruff back in 2015-16 when they were one home win away from making a Western Conference final. And this year, they're 29th ranked offense and the second ranked defense and it's basically completely flipped and they're relying on their goaltending and I guess the top line and a couple of defensemen but I don't know like it, it kind of raises this age-old question of like whether this team is better suited for potentially making some noise in the postseason the way they're constituted and the way they play versus some of those other teams that were really fun to watch during the regular season and we'll get into these back and forth track meets but come the postseason when you're relying on Kari Lennon and Antti Niemi it won't get you that far. Right, but they're not relying on those two anymore. They're relying on Ben Bishop and Anton Kudobin, which is a completely different equation. I mean, both those guys are extraordinarily capable. I've been dying to see Bishop get into another playoff series, and I know that there's always concern about his health and currently concern about his health, but the way he's played this season, um, especially in the last maybe month and a half, gives me hope that that defensive ranking is something that's going to carry over into the postseason. And, you know, the, the thing about him that I find really interesting is for a long time, I think we slotted Dallas in the same uh, company as um, Colorado and and I, I would say also Nashville as being sort of that one-line team. You know, the, the Sagan-Ben Radulov line was so damn good. Um, I think they're actually a better team when they're split up. Mm-hmm. I think they're a better team when those three guys are on different lines. Um, and I think it's almost a necessity for that to happen in the postseason if they're going to have a prayer of beating any of these uh, deeper teams uh, that they're going to end up playing. Um, I, I mean, I, I couldn't say the same thing about, about Nashville. I couldn't say the same thing about Colorado, but I think in Dallas's case, when you have Ben and Sagan on different lines, it's, I think they're a better team. I agree. I think the equation needs to be changed a little bit from not necessarily Ben and Sagan, but Sagan and Radulov at this point. Like I, I don't know. Mm. Just watching these some of these games, like I, I think Jamie Ben still on the right night has quote unquote it and can still ramp his game up and kind of look like an old version of himself. But I think expecting him to be able to consistently carry a line and carry a bunch of guys himself and really be that like one man show just doesn't really seem very feasible with all the miles he's put in his body. And I think Radulov yeah. actually can carry a line. I'm not sure if what he can make happen with Matthias Janmark and Rupe Hints, but it at least gives them another dynamic. Although at the same time, when they put those three guys together, like they did the other night against Florida, I believe, and it's it maybe unfair because everyone's scoring five or six goals on Florida these days. But that line was just <laughs> look, that line looked amazing and kind of showed you what they could conceivably do in a playoff series if they get hot. So yeah, that's going to be always be the question, I guess. If things are going well, no one's going to question it. And then if they get to the postseason and they lose games one and two, all of a sudden everyone's going to be clamoring for uh, Montgomery to switch it up and do the opposite of what they've been doing so far. Yeah, and, and so the equation for them is pretty simple. It's one of those lines that those guys are on to catch a little fire, 
and to to you know be a, a force to reckon with. Um, they have obviously a top pairing defense duo that I think is is quite good um, in Klingberg and and uh, Lindell. And then you got to hope that the goaltending continues to do what it's done in the last month. And and the other thing about them too is that you know as we do this podcast, not exactly the greatest night so far on the road, but they're a, a pretty damn good road team too. And uh, and they're obviously going to be a lower seed, so you know the the ability to go into a place and and play your your style and and uh, come away with a win is uh, sort of paramount when you are a underdog in the playoffs. And you know down the stretch in in this season and previous seasons, they've been able to do it pretty well on the road. So I don't know. There's a lot there that I kind of like. Um, I'd like it a lot better if they were slotted to play Nashville in the first round because I think Nashville is extraordinarily vulnerable. Um, but uh, as they showed in Winnipeg the other night, that's. I mean, it's not another own possibility that they could give the Jets a series either. Yeah, I think both those teams, Winnipeg and Nashville, definitely seem more vulnerable than they did this time last year and, and what we thought they'd be coming into the year. So it's not like, you know, it's this completely insurmountable opponent. But I, I, I never know, like, it's kind of similar, I guess, a little different because they do have the top end talent offensively to at least score some goals. So it's not exactly like the New York Islanders, but it's like these teams that... I know they're doing things defensively to help their goalies, and there's a reason that goalies have better numbers than they've had in years past. But at the same time, when you're relying on uh, guys like like what they have for Bishop and Kudobin to basically have two top ten seasons from both their goalies, like I'm not sure how feasible a formula that really is. Although I guess come the postseason, we see time and time again that all it takes is a hot goalie. So if they've been playing this well so far. Uh, expecting them to do that for another 10, 15, 20 games potentially might not be the most un- unreasonable thing to do. Well, I'm not looking for them to win the cup. Mm. I think they can win a round. I think if, if they could win around with what they have in that roster and with a, a good series out of either, the, either of those guys, most likely Bishop. Um, but I mean, as far as advancing, I mean, I, they're one of several teams that's sort of in that tier of a few dynamic players, a really good defensive pairing, goaltending that you, you you can write home about, and then not much much else. I mean, they've got guys that I like, um, you know, who can make a difference. Um, the Hints kid, like you mentioned, I think's had a really good good yeah, good year. Uh, Fask is you know a player that I like, although I think he's been a little bit down from his uh, silky push season last season. But there's just not enough firepower on the roster, you know, to compete with some of the teams that are going to be dealing with in the West. I think they're good enough to win around. In an upset, but I don't know if when you start going up against the Winnipeg's, the, I mean, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, you know, the winner, let me just put it this way, the winner of the San Jose Vegas series, right. <laughs> I think it might be a different uh, a different world for uh, for Dallas. Rupa hints the, uh, the one man who can push Rudolph's balsers for, uh, for the name of the year. Well, I think he's awesome because every time I see his name, I think of those puzzles they put up before the movie um, where you have to unscramble the letters and it spells like Hugh Jackman. Like they look, it looks like the scrambled version of that when I see his name, and I know that's probably like, I don't know what word you'd use, culturalist, because he's not from the North America, but I don't care. My last name is Wachinski. People have been goofing on me all my life, so I can goof on other people's names. Yeah, well, he, I generally think of myself as being like I'm biased. I think we once we're doing this for long enough, you just root for like the best stories, and and you approach it that way. But I think what I really dislike is like that team in 2015, 16 under Lindy Ruff was so exciting in the way they played and they came so close to getting over the hump. And obviously as soon as it fell short against St. Louis, everyone pointed to their style similar to what's going on with Toronto now. And it's like, Oh, you know, a lot of hand wringing about how you can't play that way. Come the postseason when the game slow down and you need to be more defensively oriented. And then it, it feels like after a while, if you don't get over that hump and we've seen this with a bunch of teams over the years, it's like the GM who's in place either gets fired or like loses his mind and tries to go completely the other way and makes his team worse in order to get better defensively. And I don't want that to be rewarded and for teams to point to Dallas and be like, oh, see, like this is what you should actually be doing. Like I want more teams to embrace just getting as much many skilled, young, fun guys as you can and trying to win that way as opposed to buying into this whole the postseason is a different animal type of uh, type of thinking. But enough about the 2010 Capitals. No, I, uh, so the you. It's funny you should bring that up because I actually had to write the um, obituary, such as it is. We don't, you know, do the usual comedy roast that we did on Puck Daddy, but we do do, you know, posts on each team as they're eliminated. And I did Vancouver, and I think Vancouver is a, a study right now in in that very thing, which is 
they need to populate that, that lineup with faster, more skilled guys in a pretty major way. And, and, and if they can play that style of hockey that you're talking about with the core of, of young players that they have, and with at least the uh, one side of the defense that they'll have next season, the other side's going to be tweaked a little bit. Uh, that's a team to me that, that is, is a prototypical team that should be playing that style, but they're going to have to change over like a third of their roster to get there. But, uh, but the potential's there with the players they already have. You don't think Brendan Sutter and Louis Erickson are the answer? <laughs> I, I don't. Um, you know, there's the, the Jim Benning has done good things oh. and he's done bad things. And then he signs Louis Erickson to a buyout proof contract with trade protection in the first four years. Yeah, which is in its own category. I think if we, you know, <laughs> if we stay patient, if we give Jim Benning twelve more years, he can enact this five-year plan of his to uh, to get the Canucks back to the postseason. <laughs> so, I, I mean, in fairness to him, and I, and I know that others have said this, like you could argue the, that the the rebuild begins and the Sedins leave. And so, I mean, I know that's kind of cheating a little bit because it's obviously been, I think, four years now since they made the postseason. Um, but I'd give him a little bit more leash to try to see this thing through. I, I think he made a mistake um, putting the cart before the horse and, and signing his, his uh, bottom six veteran character guys before he had a team that needed them, <laughs> you know, in Roussel and, and Beagle, especially in Beagle's case. Um, but I'm willing to give him a little bit of a break and see, see what he's able to come up with, especially on the defensive end where, you know, obviously life is going to change in a pretty big way with the full season of Quinn Hughes and, now I'm, I'm interested to see what he brings to the other side of that defense where it's basically like Stetcher and, and, uh, and Tanov and, and nothing. So, I mean, that's, that's really priority number one, I think, for them right now. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll have more time to talk about the Canucks. Let's, let's, let's keep on with uh, some of these other playoff teams. Um, the Blue Jackets. So we're recording this on a, uh, on a Thursday evening, and we just saw them uh, – come up with a pretty big win against the Montreal Canadiens in the grand scheme of things. I think they had five unanswered goals in it. And it continued this trend that we've seen of late of Sergei Bobrovsky looking more like Sergei Bobrovsky and looking really good and stopping a ton of pucks and giving them a chance to win every night. And if this is going to be the new norm and he's kind of figured out whatever was ailing him earlier on in the year, um, obviously it elevates their ceiling quite a bit now it's really tough to sort of prognosticate because it feels like there is going to be a bunch, a bunch more movement. Although I don't know where it looks like we could be headed to another, uh, Washington Columbus first round rematch, which would be, um, pretty interesting. I think, I don't know, like from that perspective, um, I guess for Carolina and Columbus, they're one point away from each other. They both play the same number of games. They're both probably just like eyeing that being like, Oh my God, we got to do everything we humanly can to stay out of Tampa Bay's bracket. Let's, uh, let's go over to the Metro. <laughs> What's amazing about Columbus is that at the trade deadline, if I told you that the bar was set at make the playoffs, what would you have said? You'd said that's, that's idiocy. They just went all in to get these, these guys at the trade deadline and improve their team dramatically. Like the, the bar should be set at win a playoff round. But now that they went through that funk and now that they're in this mad scramble just to qualify to um, you know, validate the moves that they made. I, I think the bars would reset. I think that if they make the playoffs and they put up at least a little bit of a fight and then get eliminated by a higher seed, I think everybody keeps their jobs and people feel pretty good about the season. I mean, which is amazing to think that that, that means I don't think that was the case at the trade deadline, but I certainly think that after what we saw from them post trade deadline to now, that might be where the bar is. I don't know about you. Yeah. I mean, obviously it depends, right? Like I think, if they have to play Tampa Bay in round one, I don't think there's going to be any shame in losing to them in five games. But right. I don't know. Like, and, they, but, and then the other alternative is that you lose to the defending cup champions. I mean, it's either way, I think you have plausible deniability when it comes to uh, your, your playoff fortunes and saying, ah, it's the luck of the draw. Better luck next year. Let's get in that 2-3 series next time. Well, here's something I've been monitoring closely. Uh, since the trade deadline, the Washington Capitals have been playing very, very well. And I guess, you know, after you win a cup, no one like it's just there. Everyone's kind of waiting for the postseason. And even before they won the cup, they were so good in the regular season for so long that no one cared about uh, their success in winning the Metropolitan Division and, and how many wins they were banking in the regular season. But I think it is important for them to show what they have shown in the past, whatever, 15, 20 games since the trade deadline. And since they most notably got Carl Hagelin, who's been fantastic for them, it's it's. 
at the start of the year they were they were winning games but there were a lot of holes on that team and it looked like i don't know if it was i'm not buying there was a stanley cup hangover i just think they just weren't playing very well and all of a sudden some stuff's fallen into place other guys have stepped up and now they've been like a you know, a top three to five shot share team again at five on five since the deadline. And Carl Hagelin's been awesome. And Brayden Holtby, most importantly, is rounding into form. And we all know what he's done in the postseason is arguably the best postseason goalie ever. So it's like now that they're playing so well, it really does kind of add another element to this where it looked like they were kind of ripe for the picking if they won the Metropolitan Division to potentially be a you know an upset pick in the first round against one of these wildcard teams especially Carolina who's been playing such exciting fun hockey but now that they're playing as well as they are it looks like there's going to be no easy out for out for those two teams although I guess if the alternative is Tampa Bay uh, both Carolina and Columbus would still prefer to, to take their chances with whatever Washington has. Sir we all know Chris Osgood is the greatest postseason goalie of all time. A man of, of meager talent and average means who elevated his team to multiple Stanley Cups through his postseason acumen. Um, I, I think I, I think Washington is, 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 like you said, a team that really kind of found its footing. Uh, there are guys that have, I think, picked up the pace a little bit late. Um, and there are guys that have been good all year. Carlson, John Carlson has been so damn good this season. Um, it is sort of incredible that he's not more in the Norris discussion. Um, cause I really thought that he'd be a dude that was going to play as good as he did last year to sing for his supper and get a fat contract and then not be that and he's been better this year, which is kind of amazing. Um, the, the interesting thing about the capitals throughout the season was it was less a Stanley cup hangover than it was a Barry Trotz hangover. Todd Rudin, I think can be a good coach. Um, everyone I've talked to that has worked with him endorses him as that guy that you always figured would be a really good head coach, but it's such a Herculean task to go from being the assistant who was the player's guy to the head coach of a defending Stanley cup champion under the circumstances in which he got the job. And in talking to him earlier this season for a story, it it was pretty apparent that he was still learning how to do it. I mean, he was kind of running things as, as a democracy uh, versus being a dictator. Um, he was not really sure what to do during a prolonged losing streak because he had never done it before. Like he, he just was never the head coach during a losing streak before. So once you get through that, then you understand maybe a little bit more of the nuance and how to handle things and how to handle personalities and, and how to handle practices and everything else. So it took him a while, um, but, but I think he's figured it out with the way that they played since the All-Star break. And, uh, and they're, you know, they're super dangerous. I mean, uh, if you give me Carolina, if you give me Washington and Tampa in a seven game series, um, that's where I'm going to have to mull over in a way that I might not mull it over in any other matchup that the lightning have. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. Um, Carlson's an interesting topic because I don't know. Do you, do you, uh, I forget, always forget who votes for what are you voting for the Norris this year? Assuming that I have a ballot, I don't know when they go out. Mm. <laughs> and, and the fact, the fact I just said that might clue, and I don't have it yet. There's always a group of people who don't who don't vote, and I have I haven't in all my years of being in the PHWA, which is now I think I think I've been there since like 2008 or 2009. I've never been one of the people that didn't get a chance to vote. Um, I always assumed that the time in which I don't get a chance to vote would coincide with me pissing off as more people than usual in the PHWA. Um, as of right now, I mean, I think I'm at maybe like four or five that don't talk to me. Um, and the only person in the power structure, of the PHWA to be really pissed at me is Mark Spector, but that's kind of the norm. Hmm. So I assume that I still get a ballot. And if that's the case, then we get to vote on the Hart, the Calder, the Norris, the Selkie, and of course the lady Bing the crown jewel of everybody's voting year. So I would get a Norris vote. Um, We'll do it. We'll do another rewards watch on ESPN uh, at the beginning of April. But I, I think the Norris is definitely right now uh, trending very much in Giordano's direction. It was even before Drew Doughty went on the soapbox and trashed the other candidate <laughs> on behalf of his, <laughs> on behalf of Mark Giordano. Um, but uh, you know, I, I feel like he's had a strong season. I feel like he is that guy, much like Doughty was at one point, that everybody feels like should have a Norris at this point. Um, and then he's also got the old guy narrative, which yeah. is something that a lot of voters are going to really dig. The fact that he's been able to do this as an over 35 player. So all that stuff coming together uh, for Giordano and, and him being healthy for once, I think he's probably got it. The real interesting thing is besides him and Burns, that third guy is going to be because 
At one point, it looked like it could be Eric Carlson, but it ain't going to be Eric Carlson anymore. And I do wonder if it's going to be John Carlson or uh, or, or Chris Letang um, or or maybe somebody Morgan Riley. I mean, he's going to no, no doubt have some support from the center of the hockey universe. Um, or any number of other guys that could be in that third spot. Yeah. No, I like Giordano. I mean, I, it is a kind of like a, an old joke about the Norris Trophy, about how it's like, you know, this like narrative uh, award, but he does have the narrative for it going for him that he's 35 and he's come close a couple times before and then usually fallen short because of injury. It hasn't been able to put it all together for a full year. And so now he's got 72 points in 75 mm-hmm. games. The on-ice impact certainly there and, and Calgary's going to win the West. So, um, and, and uh, the thing about the, the Dowdy thing, by the way, that still bothers me is that, you know, I know what he's trying to say. He's trying to say that Brent Burns is a, is a you know, a, a tilt-a-whirl when it comes back to, to being a defenseman. He's just a welcome match for other, other you know, scorers. Like, he just sucks. I understand what he's trying to say there, but this notion that, you know, offense, and, and a lot of fans like this too, the, the notion that offense um, shouldn't be as much of a determining factor as defense when it comes to the award. The award's not for the best defense. It's for the best defenseman. And, and the idea that a defenseman, part of his responsibility is isn't to be an offensive force, um, it, it kind of flies in the face of, of A, the role of the defenseman, and B, how the award's always been. For God's sakes, Paul Coffey won it multiple times. It's not, exa- it's not exactly Jacob Slavin back there, you know? So the, the idea that it should go to a well-rounded defenseman and part of that is also somebody who's going to finish maybe in the top five in scoring, I think is, is very much a bedrock of that award. And it's always been that way. Yeah. Like I don't want to get too into those comments because then as soon as everyone keeps talking about them and rehashing them, it sort of like scares players away from speaking their mind. And I think it's great for the NHL to have players more candid like that and i'd love uh more stories like that but i i just i think it's like actually incorrect because i mean burns certainly does make his share of mistakes and i think he can be loose with the puck sometimes and he definitely gets lost in his own zone like i think where he's a bit of a liability is sometimes he can kind of just roam around a little bit and lose his man i think in terms of like one-on-one defense and guys attacking him with the puck and turnstiling him like i i don't really see that much at all i don't think he gets beat more than your typical defenseman like the skaters these days with the puck are so good and so talented that it's inevitable that if you're a defenseman, you're going to wind up on some highlight reels, but he's actually like pretty tenacious with his, with his kind of aggressive poke checking and sort of his wingspan. And I I don't see that too many attackers from the games that I watch of the sharks, which is, which is quite a few this year um, that he's been a big liability. So I don't know, I, this whole idea of like how we evaluate defensemen and how we talk about them and sort of just because you're valuing their offense means that you're, all of a sudden devaluing the defense, like all, all of this stuff kind of ties together. And ultimately, in, as in Burns' case, if he's adding more to the table than he's taking off defensively, that's all that really matters, yeah. right? It doesn't really matter. Uh, yeah, I mean, and it's physicality because, I mean, he just, he's a big boy. And then, you know, it, it tracks back to, the, to the, the most classic argument that we've ever had with regard to these, these topics, which is the Mike Green argument. The idea that, you know, in Green's best season, he didn't win the Norris. Um, because of this weird narrative that he was a, a liability on defense when, you know, as every Capital fan screamed from the rooftops at that point, if you have the puck, you can't be a liability on defense because the other team doesn't have it. And that's the same, I think, rule that you can apply to Burns on top of the fact that he's putting it so many, you know, points on the board that it, it's, you know, it doesn't equal out at all as far as even if he was a defensive liability. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, other other than that, um, like it does feel like it's Giordano's, and we mentioned Carlson and, and, and Burns. I think, uh, you know, the other Carlson, Eric Carlson, obviously, if he had more than 52 games, as you mentioned, would probably be in this. I think on a per-game yeah. basis, he's been as impactful as anyone yet again, even though those uh, he started off a bit slow. But, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm excited. Like, it, it, we're in the point of the season now where there's still some of these races, and we're going to talk about a few more of them, but now we're sort of trending towards the postseason and thinking about some of these individual awards, and I know that some of the arguments are going to heat up, and so I'm excited to uh, to rehash some of them. I'm not, because <laughs> it means that I have to have the same damn arguments about the Hart Trophy that I have every single year, except now there's two guys instead of one. Now it's going to be, you know, Team McDavid, and then a bunch of people from Chicago yelling at me about how Patrick Kane went the Hart, even though the Blackhawks are a complete non-factor, too. Yeah, I think we should do a new rule. If a guy scores 130 points, uh, regardless of what his team's uh, composition is or whether they make the playoffs or who else is on it. If he gets 130 points, you know what? I, th- I think he should get the award. 
I think that's uh And it's also with 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 Kucherov though, it's like it's beyond that. It's like he's if you watch the lightning, like the impact that he has in that team is demonstrable. It's not simply just like best player on most highest scoring team. I mean, he's he's clearly a driver for that team too. I mean, I I I hope it's not a situation where people just, you know, take it for granted that, that he's just doing this uh, because the rest of the team is doing it. And we're taking it for granted that John Cooper is just, you know, standing back there playing Fortnite uh, while the, the lightning are skating around and, and scoring a bunch of goals and not having an active hand and making this team good. Like, I, I hope it's not a case where they're so good that other guys uh, don't get their, their just due because uh, people just assume that it's been all, you know, candy and sweets for this team since October. Yeah. Well, everyone talks about the, uh, you know, the state tax and how that makes it easier for the lightning to pay guys a bit less and sneak them under the cap. I'm, I'm very curious to see the other clause of like how much of, uh, of his paychecks Braden point winds up getting, giving to Kucherov moving forward, because uh, he certainly, <laughs> he certainly earned him a pretty penny. I mean, if you watch like all those, I mean, Braden point is an incredible talent himself. And even before he was playing with Kucherov um, last year, he was kind of, cementing himself as this you know dominant defensive center that could have his two-way game and it was an ascending star in this league but it's clear especially on the power play this year just how much space Kucherov's ability to both shoot and pass from that half wall creates for him like it's he's basically he has the passing of Nick Backstrom with the shot Mm -hmm. of of Etchkin and he's yeah. the same he's, player, he's and so he just opens player. opens doors for both Stamkos and Point and all those guys. So yeah, it's a it's a silly argument. It feels like people that are uh, trashing on him for that don't really watch a lot of Lightning games. They just kind of want to argue about something online, and I guess that's just the that's the world we live in. Yeah, or they hate Russians. That's the other thing too. Oh, the other yeah. thing about it that is interesting about the Point contract is you know I, I think a lot of us, myself included, have given. Steve Eiserman, this heir of, of uh, Jedi master, as far as the contracts he's been able to get signed and the meticulous way he put this team together when he was the general manager. And so this is going to be Julian Brisebois time to try to shake down a guy who deserves a lot of money and a pretty big term if he wants it and get him in at a number that's going to help them keep this team together and also help them. Let's not forget repopulate a blue line. That's going to lose some guys. Uh, after this season so it's it's gonna be fun to see exactly what what they end up with a point well you know we were talking about uh you know to bring it full circle where at the start of the show we were talking about dallas the dallas stars and some of these other teams that played this type of offensive brand of hockey and then fell short in the postseason and and really went out of their way to change things to potentially change their fortunes and i don't know like with this lightning team they've been so good this year that it feels like even if they do lose in the second round to the Bruins or lose in the conference final or, or in the Stanley Cup final. It feels like people won't freak out too much just because their season's been that dominant and a lot of these guys will be coming back. But I am like, a part of me is very interested to see what a potential fallout or reaction would be if they do fall short again because it just seems like they've stacked the deck so much right now, similar to like the Golden State Warriors in, in an NBA, for example, where it's like people are just kind of viewing it as inevitable that they're going to win it all this year just based on how good they've been. So it seems like everyone's kind of waiting to see if that's going to happen or if they are going to fall short and then what the reaction is going to be to that. I don't know. Like, do you, do you think there's going to be any sort of a, uh, you know, uh, hyperbolic uh, overreaction if they do wind up, especially if they don't make the Stanley cup final again, do you think we're going to see um, both, you know, externally from media and from fans, but also potentially from the team and uh, in the moves they make this summer? I think it depends how they lose. Right. Like, you know, the, the, the problem with the lightning right now in the, in the postseason is that they breeze through two rounds and then they get themselves into a game seven situation in the conference final. And then they, they, they choke. I mean, that's kind of how it's worked the last two times they've been in the playoffs. So I talked to John Cooper earlier this season and, and there was a recognition of, you know, the thing that the lightning have to do is do their best to avoid these prolonged series. Like, the, the reason that they go long against these teams is not that they're overmatched. It's just that they, they sometimes, you know, self-destructed in inopportune times and extend series by losing a game six, for example, that they shouldn't extend. Um, so, you know, that's going to be an interesting thing. If, if it ends up being a game seven and a bad bounce or a game seven, and they just don't, uh, you know, you know, play up to, to standards. That's one thing. If, if they end up losing five, you know, in five games, to the Bruins, uh, who, who just punch them in the face the entire time. They don't know how to, ha- how to handle it. Well, then that's another thing. And then all of a sudden we're going to start having these conversations about toughness and things like that. So I really think it depends on how they go out. 
um, versus anything else. But again, like the, the accomplishment is, is what it is. No one can take away what they've done from, from them from this regular season. And, and the other thing on top of it too, I think as hockey fans is that we are so conditioned to see teams that, that are on the level of the lightning, not win. <laughs> that it almost becomes okay. If you don't, because we know how this thing works with, with so many other uh, a parade of President's Trophy winners in the past that it's almost like it'd be the exception of the rule if this team actually rolled through the playoffs and won the Cup. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, it's... And the, the scary thing is that, obviously, they've done an immaculate job of constructing this team, and they're going to have some financial stuff to deal with in, in the next, you know, either this summer or the following summer, and they're going to have to shed some guys similar to how the Blackhawks had to do all those years with a, potentially a Tyler Johnson or, or what have you, but yeah, I think they're well well suited, because if you watch these games, like, I, I... Man, like, Anthony Sorelli is one of my favorite players to watch right now, and, and, and Matthew oh, Joseph great, as well, and, and so, like, they have guys like this that could very conceivably I mean Mikhail Sergachev on the back end like they have guys that could very easily bump up a role to a higher line or a higher pairing Mm -hmm. and probably do just as well as the guys they already have now so that's kind of the scary proposition that all of their stars are pretty much in their prime right now and they have because of all the good drafting they've done over the years all these young cheap guys on their way to fill the gap so yeah I guess if you're the rest of the NHL you're kind of trying to wait this one out and then I know people are going to keep because it is the Leafs. Uh, it's going to be like, oh, this is the first year we're having this conversation. But like, man, I think they have a pretty good team. They obviously are flawed. But um, in any other circumstance, I'd be like, you know what? I like their chances in the postseason. But having to go Boston, Tampa Bay, potentially back to back in rounds one and two is just like just an absolute murderer's row that seems unfair and impossible. Two things. First off, it's it's a testament to how good their AHL affiliate in Syracuse is that they are constantly tur- turning out these guys. And it's a testament to how important it was to keep Breezeball away from Montreal, uh, which a lot of people thought was going to be his manifest destiny at some point to be the GM there, uh, to, to make sure that that development system was kept in place. So kudos to them on that. Um, but it, it also works the other way for the Lightning. I mean, you talk about the Leafs knowing that, oh, God, we got to go through the Bruins and the Lightning. Well, the Lightning know that after they play their first round match in which they're seated correctly, uh, then they got to go and play either the second best team in the NHL or like the fourth or fifth best team in the NHL, whoever wins the Leafs Bruins series, which is insane to me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, not to climb on the soapbox once again, but the idea that we don't recede after the first round is, is just a giant cluster. It completely did. They're, they're going to end up with a, like 132 points, and their reward is to have to play the Bruins in the second round. That is insane. That's insane. And they're doing it because that way it's easier for somebody, the one guy who's holding an office pool to know what the bracket looks like beforehand. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's nuts to me that they do that. And, and I, you know, for all the talk about how to, you know, change the playoff format, like just do that. Just, just make sure that you protect your top seeds. So you don't have to value 82 games of the regular season. Yeah, it's so stupid. Like what's the, if you're going to have the 82 games and they're obviously going to have them because it's a cash grab and anyone that is, you know, hoping that they're going to remove some of these games and ease the load on players. That's never going to happen. So don't hold your breath on that. It's like, what's the point of winning all these games and being that successful if it's not going to make your road any easier? Like, I guess, you know, you guarantee home ice advantage, but I mean, we've seen time and time again in the NHL, that's not as big of a deal as maybe some other sports. So it's like, it just seems like you're basically reinforcing the teams should take the NBA route of, resting guys due to low, quote unquote load management and not necessarily going full out for the all 82 games, because at the end of the day, there's not right. an equivalent prize to it. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 you know, it, they, but the problem, the answer is they don't care. Like they just they absolutely don't care about protecting their top seeds. They, the top seeds, the top seed in the East is going to be Tampa Bay. The top seed in the West is going to be Calgary. Maybe it'd be a different conversation if the Rangers were on a five-year run of, of getting eliminated in the second round and they keep on winning President's Trophies. They just don't care. They, 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 they know that Boston-Tampa Bay as a series is going to draw money. Um, and, and so, you know, it, or, or, even, or, or even Tampa Bay-Toronto is going to draw money. So it doesn't matter to them to protect the, the Lightning because essentially in what Gary Bettman sees as a parody-filled league, there's no incentive to protect the top seeds, even if the rest of us are like, well, then why are you watching 82 games of this nonsense just to see someone get one round of reward for it? Uh, all right, Greg, let's take a quick little break here to hear from a sponsor, and then we're going to finish up this conversation on the other end of things. 
Sponsoring today's episode of the Hockey PDO cast is SeatGeek. SeatGeek knows that getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of websites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust out there. And that's why SeatGeek's the way to go because they're going to take all the guessing out of the equation for you by doing all the work for you. They're going to pull millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. They know there's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek's going to get you closer to their action for a great value. They're designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever before by searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value. SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. That's why you need to make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I've found time and time again that it is the easiest way to shop for tickets. It saves you time, money, and effort, and there's ultimately not too much more you can ask for. Uh, I've used them to buy tickets to any number of different types of events, whether it's been hockey, basketball, baseball, football, uh, concerts, comedy shows, they have it all. Uh, so if there's anything you're interested in, uh, they're going to have it. And I recommend checking them out, especially this time of year. It's, it's as we're approaching April here, uh, you know, with baseball starting NBA and NHL playoffs, uh, you know, there's tennis tournaments going on, there's March Madness, there's there's so much to really sink your teeth into and get out there and enjoy and embrace. And I highly recommend doing so. And if you're going to do it, uh, make sure you're using SeatGeek to do so. And if you're still not convinced and you're still not buying it, maybe this will help not you over. SeatGeek is going to give you $10 off your first purchase with them just because you've listened to today's episode of the Hockey PDO cast. To download, to get in on that, all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today. That's promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. Now let's get back to the show. Let's finish up with the West. I want to talk a bit about the Sharks and uh, the Pacific Division because obviously, you know, they haven't had Joe Pavelski for the past however many games. Eric Carlson's been out for a while, so I don't want to act like, um, you know, they've been full health and they're just walking through this and not really caring about where they finish. Like I'm sure they're trying to win as many games as they can, but their recent stretch here and sort of how they've fallen off and let Calgary run away with this uh, Pacific division. And I guess Western conference number one seed has been very puzzling to watch because now they are locking themselves into that round one matchup against Vegas. And while they are going to have home ice and presumably if they get those two guys back, they'll still be the favorite. Um, like Vegas has been the best team in the league for the past since the trade deadline, I guess, since they got Mark Stone. And speaking of uh, rewards for for awesome regular seasons, getting that as a round one matchup seems just insane. I mean, I can't wait to watch it as a fan, but the fact that one of those two teams is going to be sitting at home watching from round two on um, is a little bit disappointing. It, it, it is, but I will defend the NHL on this one because if you look at what would have been a one through eight seeding for the Western conference, this could be the three, six series anyway. Mm -hmm. So we might've gotten it anyway right. in the old format. So it's, it's not the same thing as, as Boston and, and Toronto, which obviously would have never happened in the old format. Um, we might've gotten this one anyway. I, I agree. I, I feel like they're biding their time as we're doing this podcast inexplicably. Again, they're losing at home to an interior opponent. Um, they kind of know what their destiny is going to be. They're, they're just kind of going, playing through the string, but the, the big concern um, for them, obviously, is when when you when the rest of your team is of a Stanley Cup quality, which I truly believe that at, at the forward position and uh, most of the defense on the blue line, the fact that when Eric Carlson is healthy, you could try to have Brent Burns and Eric Carlson for 55 minutes a game if you wanted to. Uh, these are things to me that are of a Stanley Cup quality. But when you look at your save percentage <laughs> as a team and you see that it is tied with the Florida Panthers for the worst in hockey this late in the season, the idea that Doug Wilson did not go out and address his position is a dereliction of duty. And, and I know that it's loyalty to, to Martin Jones. And I know that they think that Aaron Dell is, is just peachy, but like, go make that sort of insurance policy move, even for an injury to get somebody in there that might be able to help out, get that third man in on your goalie position. Um, because the idea that you've, you've invested this much money and this much capital and this much treasure into this team where, you know, half the league has a San Jose draft pick right now from all the deals they've made. Um, and then you're going to rely on goaltending that has been demonstrably faulty this season is just baffling to me. Yeah, no, it's stunning. Sub 900. I know 
goaltending numbers are down a little bit this year. The league average is nine ten, but man, yeah, the eight ninety eight for Martin Jones and just he's basically like a lock to give up three or four goals every night these days. And they have the offense certainly to cover up for that and still win a bunch of games five three, five four, and they very well might do so in the postseason, but it's tough and, and we'll see, you know, how Flurry looks and when he comes back, but for Vegas, uh, just how they've looked with Mark Stone in the lineup and now the fact that they can roll those two lines and really match up, like they are a real big problem for anyone that's going to play them. And I think, you know, that, I think that matchup last year that we saw in round two, which Vegas won in six, I believe, was kind of flew under the radar a bit because I thought it was some of the most fun hockey we got to see. Um, but oh, yeah, I'm really looking forward. Like, it seems like this year's matchup is going to be that, except juiced, juiced up and both teams are coming in way better and loaded up to really just exchange a bunch of haymakers and it seems like that could like very conceivably be a western conference final caliber matchup in round one and so i guess you know it's going to be great to watch and it's great for the league to be able to market that but at the same time um i do feel for whichever one of those two teams winds up losing in seven games yeah and it's conceivable that the winner of that series wins the west yep. i mean it's it, it's quite possible those are the two best teams in the west um yeah and on top of the the top two lines for vegas i mean they've had guys that have had really good seasons and cody Eakins had a good season that fourth line is is i mean i know that we we joke about you know we goof on the islanders for boasting the best fourth line in hockey <laughs> uh but the vegas fourth line with uh belmar and reeve pretty damn good too so um i i still i still wish they had that one sort of foundational defenseman to kind of bring it all together. I don't, I, I'm, I'm still not sold on the idea that the group that they have back there can necessarily win you a cup at the end of the day. Um, but the, the rest of the team is, is especially at the four position is great. And the other thing about them too, is that it, it is not uh, a, 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 you know, a stop sign at the end of the road if they don't win this year. I mean, they're going to be good for a number of years, um, at least for the next three with this group. Um, so I, it, it's, it's pretty exciting to see them getting multiple shots, uh, at, uh, at playoff glory, mostly because, um, I get to go there and have a per diem. So, I mean, these are, these are more of the most important things when it comes to teams that I pull for in the postseason. I was going to say, it seems like, uh, you have a little bit of bias there. I mean, I, listen, I, to, to, to sit here and say that I, I'm rooting for a, a Vegas Nashville Western conference final. And then, you know, for Montreal to get in, make a run. And then I get a Vegas Montreal Stanley cup final. Hmm. I mean, I'd be fine with that. It doesn't mean that I'm actively rooting for them. Maybe just, you know, subtly rooting for them a little, a little fist bump to the reporter next to me on press row. When things go good for a city that we want to spend time in, in June. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, is there anything, uh, any other storylines or any other, um, you know, potential matchups or teams that we should talk about? Like, it seems like we've covered most of it, but. What do you make of the Penguins? Oh, man. I mean, my long <laughs> my longstanding theory is, assuming they're healthy, I don't want to be the person to bet against Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we'll see. Like, I. I He's never going to get the love for it because Kucherov's having the year he's having and he's sort of, you know, it's a, a blessing and a curse because he's been so good for so long that people just kind of take it for granted. But the year Crosby's having, like, I I think if I had a ballot, I'd probably consider having him as, strongly consider having him as number two uh, for the heart mm -hmm. and maybe even number one oh, for yeah. the Selkie. And so, like, the fact that he's still pulling out all these new tricks and amazing us with what he's capable of at this point of his career with all the games he's played and everything he's accomplished is nuts to me and, and when you have him playing at that level um you can win any series now i think they clearly have some flaws and against the right team uh those are going to get exposed um you know potentially the islanders in round one i do not think are the team that is going to expose those flaws so i don't know it would be very fascinating to watch uh another uh another installment of uh of washington pittsburgh i'll never get boring bored of it so i uh i'm fully expecting yeah and 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 in the last couple of weeks, I mean, Matt, I know this for a fact because he's on my fantasy team, uh, but Matt Murray has been really good and, and sort of snapping back into form after really kind of being lost in the wilderness for most of the season when he's played and, you know, obviously been injured too. So, um, yeah, they're, they're one of those, they're like, they're like a corpse, right? Like you, you expect the, it to jump up and be a zombie and bite you on the neck. Uh, or maybe it's just going to lie there. You're not, you're not quite sure what they are right now as far as, uh, 
as far as their ability to make a run. Um, but, you know, Latang's been great, uh, provided he's healthy, and, and they've got guys in that lineup that just still scare you. And, you know, playoff time, game one, you look across the ice and see those jerseys and see Sidney Crosby, you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> maybe, maybe every team would say that outside of the Capitals, who I think now have exercised the demon and don't really care about the, the Penguins anymore. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but other teams might say, uh-oh. Yeah, well, you know what I'm saying oh, about uh, Eric Goodbranson and Jack Johnson eating up a ton of minutes in a in a series where they might have to <laughs> hey, go up against no, the top fair, line. Goodbranson's been a lot better than either of us thought he'd be there. I mean, Jack Johnson's terrible, but Goodbranson's not been a disaster for them. I mean, he's been able to both chew his gum and move in the right direction. I guess I'll give him, <laughs> I'll give him that. I mean, yeah, no, you're right. Obviously, the uh, you know it's all relative. Uh, my expectations were so low that you know. Yeah, I guess he yeah. has exceeded them, but yeah, it's these people that are like Eric Branson. He's he's legit. Look at what he's doing on a you know on a winning team. It's like ah, let's relax. I think there's a lot of other reasons why the Penguins are good beyond uh, their third pairing defenseman. No, I, I think that's fair. I, I think he's in that category of like if Cody Cece got traded at the deadline and then didn't fall down like every other shift, then people would be like, look how well he's playing for this contending team. I think it's the same kind of thing with Good Branson. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I mean, you do see it time and time again. Um, and I'm not citing this as another example of that, but I guess like Justin Schultz is a great example of that. It's like sometimes we do take for granted the idea of like the surroundings helping a player and, and sort of when you're on a miserable franchise that is going nowhere and then you all of a sudden you get to play with other guys who cover up for a lot of your flaws. It's amazing how much better you can look. Sure. And then there's also the coaching thing too. I mean, I think yeah. Sergey Gonchard does a really good job with those guys and has created... You know, I think he, he did a hell of a job with Ian Cole. He did a hell of a job with uh, with Justin Schultz. It, it kind of reminds me of when Larry Robinson was with the Devils and all of a sudden, like, Bryce Salvador was, like, <laughs> a top-ten defenseman for, like, a, two months uh, in the season. Uh, it, sometimes coaching can go a long way. Look no, look no further than the New York Islanders as uh, Mitch Korn turns uh, Robin Lehner into a, a Vezina candidate. Yeah, well, not, not unless uh, Thomas Grace wins it first. <laughs> exactly um yeah i don't know there, there isn't much else here like we haven't really talked about the blues are you buying or selling the idea that they're the best team in the central division right now no I, i'll 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 i mean I, on I know you're jordan bennington's agent so <laughs> i still think it's winnipeg um but i do think that the interesting thing if you if you're kind of game planning a a nashville st louis series which is a distinct possibility. I think you're looking at a St. Louis team that is what Nashville wants to be, which is a team that has more than one line that can score, which is a team that does play a cohesive system in front of their goaltender at all times. Uh, and which is a team that has gotten consistently good goaltending, which uh, I don't necessarily think that, uh, that the Nashville has gotten throughout the season. Um, and certainly I'm concerned about them getting in the postseason. So, uh, a little worried about that matchup from a national perspective, but as far as the Blues making a run, look, I mean, I, I think the, the resurrection of this team uh, to be in the playoffs is, is going to be good enough for them. Um, you know, they should have been a playoff team to begin with. Um, we all learn our lesson to not hire a bad coach and have him stand next to a good coach and hope he becomes a good coach. Right. <laughs> so if nothing else, uh, lessons were learned. They'll make the playoffs. Everybody will be happy, and Jordan Bennington will be a Calder finalist. Yeah, I am growing. In, like I love the Predators. I love um, watching them. I love Nashville becoming this, uh, you know, surprising hockey market over the past couple of years. Every postseason, I change my Twitter name to Filipovich Forsberg, and whenever he does something crazy, I get all these uh, fans from Nashville thinking that I'm him and you know, telling me they love me and it's great. It's a good time, but I'm becoming increasingly worried about that round one matchup against St. Louis. If that is going to be the case, because it seems like a nightmare fit stylistically from the perspective of like, if you just blanket the Forsberg or Arvidsson, Johansson line with Ryan O'Reilly, who also has a case to be, uh, the Selkie winner this year and his line. Um, I just mm -hmm. don't see where the offense is going to come from from Nashville's perspective. And one thing St. Louis does have going in its favor is that it can come at you in waves and it has so much depth and it has guys even on its third, fourth line that can chip in with legitimate offense. And so if it comes down to a depth battle and those top two li top lines cancel each other out, I really do like um, St. Louis in that matchup, even though they don't have home ice and even though they do have a young yeah. goalie who hasn't played that many games. 
And, and, and listen, it's not even set in concrete that he's going to be the starter. There's, there's a movement afoot in St. Louis to give Jake Allen the crease because he's the guy who has playoff experience while Bennington doesn't. Um, so it, it, that's, that's, and, and Allen, you know, as I'm not exactly an Allen fan, but he's played pretty good down the stretch here for them too. Um, I agree with you. And I also think that it's, it's so frustrating. It must be so frustrating for, for the Predators, uh, to see Kyle Turris get signed to this long-term contract, try to be the solution as the secondary scoring behind the Johansson line. And then he can't do it. And then he's now all of a sudden like a scratch. I think recently, uh, they go out, they make the Granlin trade, they make the Simmons trade. Neither of them really coalesce with a line to make it into something that's dangerous. It, it, it has got to be a, a real worry uh, to be going into the postseason with the same two concerns that you had after the elimination last season, which is that no one but the Johansson line can score, and then we have a goalie that maybe is going to melt down in a big spot. Uh, but we have to play him because he's, you know, our guy. So it's a, it, it seems like a broken record, but it's exactly where they ended last year, and, and I feel like it's exactly where they go into the playoffs this year. Yeah, it is a shame because I do value the perspective, like what Boyle has done from the perspective of like so many NHL GMs are overly cautious and overly conservative and never want to push their chips in. And he certainly, you can't fault him for going for it and, you know, taking his swings and bringing guys in and signing guys. Unfortunately, it just seems like some of those recent acquisitions have been uh, unfortunate or just bad bets. Right. And so it hasn't really worked out and they still are looking for that secondary scoring and they certainly have not gotten it yet from Wayne Simmons and Michael Granlin. And so, yeah, they're going to struggle in that series to generate offense if O'Reilly's blanketing that top line. And so I'm, I'm very curious to see how that plays out. And that's sort of the fun part of the postseason. We don't typically think of like X's and O's matchups like that in hockey that much, as much as we do in some other sports, but it does come down to that and sort of, how two teams match up with each other and taking advantage of each other's uh, of each other's weaknesses. So I'm really curious to see how that's going to play out. Yeah, indeed, it's going to be fun. Um, all right, let's uh, let's get out of here, Greg. Plug some stuff. What uh, what are you working on these days? Where where can people find your work? What uh, what can they look forward to from you moving forward here as we get towards the postseason? Yeah, for sure. It's uh, so. I mean. <laughs> It's going to be a ton of stuff, <laughs> and you're going to be part of it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's going to be a, a flood of, of coverage. I know Emily and I are going to be hitting the road pretty soon to uh, start doing some stuff, even before the playoffs begin, to cover some of these races as they go down to the wire. Um, you know, we're going to have a playoff central. There's going to be a lot of sort of audio and video components of what we're going to be doing as well. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun. But you can find uh, ESPN on Ice with me and Emily Kaplan on iTunes. Uh, and that is, of course, a – hour-long show in which we cover hockey in a very irreverent uh, but clean way. And then you can find Puck Soup, which is where I say the F word a lot and uh, <laughs> talk about things that sometimes aren't hockey and, uh, and have uh, weird guests on. And that is, of course, with myself and Ryan Lambert and Douglas Brown. And if you want extra stuff from that podcast, you've got the Patreon for that podcast in which you get six bonus things a month for five bucks, uh, including two bonus podcasts, including one that me and Douglas Brown just did. Uh, looking at the uh, biggest meltdowns, regular season meltdowns in NHL history, which was a fun look back at, well, a lot of Leafs teams. And, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so that's me. And, and thanks to everybody for supporting our work. And also thanks for checking out the work that we do at ESPN. I know that it's, uh, you know, a tough hill to climb sometimes to uh, get people to come back to ESPN and, and read about hockey and see what we're doing with hockey. But it's been fun. I think we're doing really good work. And then obviously with the games being on ESPN plus and having the highlight show every night with under Bucci grass, uh, you know, the coverage is there and, and I'm glad that people are checking it out and really liking it. Well, it's uh yeah, I guess I've been working with you since, uh, since December. I'm really looking forward to the postseason. It's been a blast so far and, and you're right. Um, I think we've been doing some cool stuff and I'm looking forward to seeing what we get up to in these coming weeks and months, man. So, uh, thanks for taking time to come chat and hopefully we'll be able to get you back on as, uh, as some of these postseason series get, get going and we, uh, finally get some meaningful hockey. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Cheers, man. Before we get out of here, I just wanted to touch on a couple of housekeeping things for those of you that have still, uh, stayed listening and haven't turned out the episode yet. Uh, hopefully if you're one of those people and you haven't done so already, um, I can encourage you to go over to iTunes and leave the PDO cast a positive rating and review. All the five-star reviews uh, you guys have left have meant a lot for the show and help keep us up near the top of the charts and will mean a lot 
for uh, helping the show continue to grow and prosper in the weeks and months and hopefully years to come. So please take at least, uh, it takes only a minute of your time to go and do so. And it means a lot to me and um, hopefully you'll be able to do that. And the other thing is that you can check out the show um, on various different platforms now. Obviously, we've been going on SoundCloud and um itunes and google play and stitcher and all those for a while now uh we're also on spotify so if that's your cup of tea and you are generally on there listening to all your favorite playlists and it's easier for you to just hop over to a podcast on there as well rather than opening a new app uh we're there and i believe the most recent 250 episodes or so are cataloged there so definitely check all of that out and subscribe to it so that as new episodes are published, uh, you'll be notified and you'll know rather than uh, missing out on them, which is going to be incredibly important uh, here in the coming weeks to come, considering that, uh, you know, the shelf life on some of these shows, especially once we get into these postseason series, is incredibly short with new games happening every other day. So definitely do that. And yeah, I think that's it for now. So I appreciate everyone that has listened uh, and has helped make this transition over to Yahoo and all the other things we're doing uh, as smooth and effortless as possible. I'm looking forward to seeing what is to come in the coming weeks here. So until then, um, we're going to get out of here now. We're going to listen to the outro music and we'll be back uh, sometime next week. I've got a couple exciting shows planned. So until then. Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast.